Well, 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 hello everyone once again. This is pretty exciting as we approach the third episode of the podcast because earlier today, just a few hours before recording this, I have finally actually launched the website. I haven't announced it to anyone at the time of this recording, but it's up, it's running, everything's working. I am awaiting approval on Apple and Google Podcasts to get that working, so finally... Everything's kind of coming together, which is a really, really nice feeling, I must admit. So I decided that for this episode of the podcast, which I still haven't gotten any feedback because I haven't released the other ones to the public, but for this last preliminary episode of the podcast, I wanted to kind of talk about what it means to be Christian. Kind of an important subject. I don't think that's necessarily very clear, so I'm just going to jump right on into it. So, the deal with this really is, there are so many Christians out there. Uh, At one measurement, I think it was like one or two billion. So, a good amount of the population, maybe it's even more than that. And it's pretty much spread throughout the world, uh, either as Catholic or Protestant for most of it, a little Orthodox thrown in there. And with all those Christians, you'd think that you would be seeing better things in the world than what we actually have. And so it kind of begs the question, what's the difference between a Christian, quotation, quotation, and an actual real Christian? That's a really tough thing to say, because who's to say that one person is Christian and that another one isn't? And yet, here I am, and I'm going to try to outline that. <laughs> um, but there's obviously some, uh, some limits here, some limitations to what I can actually authoritatively say. Which, again, is why we have the podcast, and not the more official articles. So, among these limitations are two assumptions that we will make. So, these are the two guiding factors that are going to help us determine what makes a real Christian and what a real Christian isn't. Um, But before I get into those, I do want to explain why I think it's important to talk about this. And I don't think that it is so that you can determine if somebody else is a Christian or not. I think that's dumb. In most situations, that isn't going to matter. Or you shouldn't let it matter. You shouldn't let it get to that situation where it's going to matter. What this is important for is, I think it matters to you personally, on a personal level. So the two assumptions moving forward are, a real Christian may have uh, a differing opinion of biblical content compared to other Christians, but they agree that scripture is the authority. It's authoritative. So that's the first one, and the second one builds off of this. The second assumption is that a real Christian will do their best to actually live by, to live out 
the Bible uh, and what they believe, the instructions that are there. So obviously you could debate those two, and there's a lot that kind of goes into that. But I think that if you were to try and sit down and decide what those criteria are, you'll never get anywhere. Everyone's going to have a different opinion on that. And so for the sake of the conversation, assumptions have to be made. And so with that, I say, well, to be a Christian, you have to follow the instructions of Christ. And Christ was fully backed by the Old Testament and is fully backed by the New Testament. So that means the Bible. So if you are going to follow Christ, that means that you have to completely agree with everything that you read in the Old and the New Testament. They're completely harmonious with Christ. So you can't be Christian, Christ, Christ, Ian, without those things. And you also have to actually act on that and not just believe. That That's something else that'll back up there later. But those are the two really, really uh important criteria. So from my perspective, that's how I see it. That said, this has little to do with salvation. Well, actually, it has a lot to do with salvation, but it isn't a good way to determine whether someone is saved or not. You can't really do it. You can do it a little bit, but not methodically, and most of the time you shouldn't do it. So it's better to just stay out of that. Uh, So this is connected, but not in a way that we can use one to determine or control the other. That said, we can kind of build a test off of this. So if you go to the book of James, now James is the brother of Jesus, or so we believe, which I don't think any other theories as to the origin of the epistle of James are accurate, so... We're going to go with that one. And in James chapter 2, he goes into detail on something about this. Uh, Definitely one of my favorite passages, so I'll just read it to you. This is in New King James. Shoutouts to uh, Nelson Bibles, uh, New King James Version, my favorite. So reading in James 2.14, it says this. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thou, also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see, then, that a man is justified by works, and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So there's a lot of stuff in there that I'd really want to unpack a little bit. First of all, I think James is really backing up what I'm saying here with explaining that there's a faith element and there's also a works element. So something interesting I've learned about this is that Martin Luther, uh, who 
is responsible for sparking the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. Martin Luther struggled with this passage when he posted his 95 theses on the door of that church there. He posted that man was saved by faith alone. It's called uh, sola fide in Latin. And he kind of struggled with how this passage fits in because uh, one translation of that verse in James there, verse 24, says that man is justified by works and faith. But what's really interesting about this is that it is not necessarily saying that salvation comes from works. The thought process that James is going through here is that there is a type of faith that saves and a type of faith that doesn't. And the type of faith that saves is the type of faith that has some sort of compulsion to do good works. In fact, he really makes the claim that it's more than just not saving, but that it's completely and utterly useless if it doesn't come with its own works. In verse 18, he kind of describes this competition. Two people are going to try to display their faith, and one of them has the advantage of being able to show it with works, and the other person can't use works. And what this does to you as the reader of this letter, epistle, makes you think about how in the world could you prove to someone that you believe in something other than acting like you believe in something? You really can't. And so James makes his case here that it is simply impossible to have a true legitimate faith that is not also accompanied by works. James even calls people out on simply believing because he compares them to demons, evil spiritual beings. He says that even the demons believe and they tremble in fear. So he kind of calls these people out that don't really act out on their faith, but they just kind of have it or claim to have it. He says even the demons, he basically tells them demons have more faith than you do because they believe and it actually gets a reaction out of them. So that's pretty harsh language for James to use. And it's this passage that I kind of make my foundation on. These are the two things that make you a Christian, or at least that second part, is actually living out on the things that you believe. So the real deal here is what can you do to test your own faith? Don't test other people's faith. That's not a good idea. But test your own. Well, clearly the way James is putting it is make a list. Make a list of your works. Not because you are saved by your works, but because your works are indicative of what your faith is like. It's like a stress test. I saw on YouTube the other day this Mythbusters kids thing where um, one of the guys, I forget which one is which, but I think it's Jamie, whatever one is actually still doing Mythbusters, and he was doing this thing with these kids where he was putting to the test the myth that spider silk is actually stronger than steel. 
and they got steel wire and spider silk that was an equal mass, which meant it had more volume because it's way less dense, but an equal mass of spider silk to steel wire to test which one would hold more water, and the spider silk actually won. But it's this really cool test where they had water pouring in, and they're going to measure how much water was in the bucket still. Putting together a list of works, putting together this test, is like that. It's like a stress test for your faith. See what it can do. Is it strong? Is it weak? How is it going to come out? Give it a test. Let's find out. Let's find out for real. So here is why I think we don't have as much amazing Christian work out there as you would expect to see with, you know, two billion Christians out there, is because most faith, I think, fails this test. I think it fails it really epically, actually, and it's kind of sad. I think that for most Christians, or at least for a lot of Christians, they have no items to put on this list. There's, there's just nothing there. Maybe it's, oh, well, I go to church a lot, and... Yeah, that's it. That's about all there is. And I think that happens to a lot of people that think that they're devout Christians because they've been to church every Sunday. That is really a poor way to test it. The reason that I think you should make a list, actually sit down, write it out on paper, a list of things that you've done since 2019 started, okay, in good works that you have done for God and for the church and for people. And my hope is that either you're going to see the list and see, you know, think my faith is safe, or you're going to see the list and be really unhappy with it. I'm a firm believer in sarcasm, and the reason I'm a firm believer in sarcasm is because oftentimes I find that people say stupid things and it sounds okay until you phrase it a little bit differently and it sounds really dumb. That's because it's actually really dumb, okay? that That's when I use sarcasm. If I think you, well, that's not always why I use sarcasm, but that's a good reason that I use sarcasm is to rephrase something you just said because it sounded so dumb, okay? I think hearing something like that can, I don't think it's going to change people's minds necessarily, but it kind of at least snaps people out of it sometimes and let the, let them know that I have no filter. And I think this list is something that you should do to accomplish that same effect. That if you actually write it out like, oh, well, when you say it that way, I kind of understand it. Well, if you actually write it out and look and see this list, man, I hope that you have entries because if not, this is going to be a wild ride for you. I think that this is a really good idea for most people to do just so that they can actually have, you know, it's not to quantify anything, but it can kind of wake you up a little bit, I think. And so it's my hope that if this at least gets you thinking about it, you would do it. And if you do it and you aren't happy with the results, then stick around because I got more stuff for you. together and you're not really happy with it. There's not much there. You've been to church. Maybe you haven't even done that. Or maybe you just have downtime that isn't being spent well. By the way, the whole reason this 
ministry came about, the redeeming the time ministry came about because I had downtime that I didn't want to waste anymore. So even if you're doing a lot, but you have more time, give more time. There's no such thing as giving enough, you know? You can always give more. So I don't think there's anything... Okay, actually I'm going to revoke that opinion. I do think that you can give and not be giving enough, and I think that happens a lot in America. I think Americans are rich and are hesitant to give more than a very narrow amount of our time, energy, and resources towards spiritual things. And I think at some point someone can say, okay, well, I've earned it. You know, I'm not going to fault anyone for working and having a job and buying nice things or anything, but I probably could, and I can make a biblical argument out of it too. There certainly isn't amount an amount that's giving too much. If A good song that comes to mind is uh, Reliant K. I listened to too much Reliant K. I think I mentioned that in the last podcast. Is uh, Give Until There's Nothing Left. Great song. Go listen to that. That'll back me up. Because giving in the upside-down kingdom is getting. It really is. It doesn't feel like it, but it totally is. So if you are realizing that you're not doing enough giving, you're not giving enough time, you're not giving enough energy resources, you're not doing anything, your faith is just dead. James would call it dead. Well, then it's time to go and do something, okay? So for me, doing something meant building a website and starting a podcast. Two things that I had no idea how to do, but I had the burden, and so I'm doing it. I'm living that out right now because I have that to give. So why don't I? Mac, who I eventually want to get on this podcast, Mac was in Virginia, and he can probably tell his story better than I can, but I'm going to tell this now. He moved out of Maine to Virginia and was in a really, really rough place. He didn't have many social connections, and he didn't really have a church that he could rely on. His faith was just kind of there, wasn't really doing anything. And he kind of woke up to this after uh, quite a lot happened and he went through some pretty serious depression and then he decided that he needed to do something and so I remember he texted me one time he's like you know I'm looking to go on a missions trip and after a while he chose a missions trip with a youth with a mission to Australia and he's actually on that trip right now which is part of the reason that I can't do the podcast with him is because he is he went to Australia and at the time of this recording is in Ethiopia And is about to go back to Australia before he goes back to Virginia. So, pretty crazy year for him. But, like I said, for me, what I needed to do was this. For him, what he needed to do was that. There are so many things that you can do if you're not thinking you're doing enough. And that comes in all shapes and sizes, which is really nice because our lives come in all different shapes and sizes. For Mac, he was not necessarily working towards anything. He had completely open whatever. He went to work, saved up, and just was able to spend six months dedicated to one thing. For me, I don't have that. I am working a lot because I'm in college, and during the school year, I have very little free time. It's here, scattered in random places. During the summer, I have more free time, but I work full-time, and I'm exhausted. And I have a schedule right now where I can't just go on a mission trip for six months, but I can do this. This can be my mission trip. Maybe it's not for six months straight, but it's an hour a night. It's 
something. It's what I have to give. And so there's all kinds of stuff like that. People get so caught up in the fact that, you know, they can't be on a mission because they're not on a mission's trip. That's not true. I'm on a mission right now. I'm in a closet talking to my laptop. Okay, so just some examples of what you can do is, one, you can teach. You can teach something. My dad started teaching a class again this year. I think that was good for him. He was teaching children, just a little thing, but it was very good for him to actually get out and get involved, I think. And I'm working on hopefully teaching a class eventually uh, at church. That's still a little ways out, but I'm kind of in preparation stage. I want to do that. And so yeah, you can teach. That can be your mission. Maybe your mission can be learn. Sounds weird. How could learning be a mission? Well, that's the other mission I'm on right now is I'm working through community college and then eventually a Bible college after that. And that makes it hard when everybody else is off doing things, like my best friend is off doing things, and I'm here learning. Well, learning's a mission too. I know a guy who, he goes to our church, and he just packed up his family and moved to Florida. And he went there because he was attending Word of Life. So he said, you know what? Time for a mission. His mission was to learn. So he just packed up and left, went to Florida, and either is getting or has already gotten a degree in Bible from Word of Life Bible Institute in Florida. That's pretty awesome. That's just as much a mission as anything else, because learning is investment into future missions. So very important. So maybe that's what you need to do is learn. Something else might just be to provide aid, financial aid or disaster relief, whatever. Help out by providing whatever time, energy, resources you have to people. Uh, you can adopt you can give, you can just love, you can just be there for people, okay? Be a people person if you really truly make that your mission. You can evangelize. Maybe that's something you can do. You can just go out into the pre into the streets and preach the gospel. You know that, right? I've only ever seen a handful of people do it, and that's always in cities. But that's totally a valid way that you can preach. I mean, that's what, you know, we don't do it in America for some odd reason, but that's what Mac is doing in Australia, in Ethiopia, is just going out preaching the gospel. I don't get why we can't do that in our own backyard. You can encourage. Maybe you don't do so well with people outside of the church. I don't. I really don't. But maybe your mission is to the inside. That's definitely where mine is. So maybe your job isn't to be out there in the thick of it, but your job is to be in the church and helping the people who are out there in the thick of it because it's almost, it, it's support. You're like putting gas in the engine is, you know, a common metaphor. Maybe, you know, maybe an oil change is a better example. You know, they come in, it's been a long time, you got to just refresh everything, make it new, and then set them up for the next time they go out there. Maybe that's your mission. There's so many missions. You can get up, start a website and a podcast. You can go to Australia. You can go to Florida to get an education. Do whatever. Just do whatever it is that he calls you to do. And if you do, I'm going to tell you right now exactly what's going to happen. Maybe works do not affect your salvation, but works affect your faith and your faith affects your salvation. And if you look at James chapter 2, verse 22... James says, do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works, his faith was made perfect, referring to Abraham, of course. If you go out and do good works, you will find that you are a stronger, better Christian for it. So this idea that you have to psych yourself up 
or learn or, you know, attend church for a hundred years before you can go off and do something. You've got to be a better Christian first. Totally backwards. Act the way you should act, and then it'll come more natural later. It doesn't have to be natural in the beginning, but I guarantee you if you make yourself do it, it will be natural, and you'll be that faith superstar that you wish you could be. That is all for this edition of the Redeeming the Time podcast. Be sure to keep discussion going. I just want this to be me talking to you. That's what it's been. I've recorded three of these now. I'm ready for some feedback. So in wherever you can comment on, where I'll have this tweeted, I'll have this Facebooked, and you can always comment on the blog posts themselves on the Redeeming the Time website, which is, of course, redeemingthetime.online. Not redeemingthetime.com. That'll turn up nothing. Redeemingthetime.online. O-N-L-I-N-E. Online. Redeemingthetime.online. And I will see you guys on the next edition of the Redeeming the Time podcast.